Hi, I'm Paul Zarnota, an award-winning barrister and adjunct law lecturer, and welcome to the Raise Ipsa Lockwater podcast, your shortcut to legal wisdom. In each episode, I'll be your navigator through short, sharp, and easy-to-digest summaries of recent and important cases in the area of torts, insurance, and personal injuries litigation. In these episodes, we'll unpack cases decided under Australian law and beyond to cater to time-poor practitioners, law students, and all interested legal minds. Thanks for being here. Let's dive right into today's case. In today's episode, we will take a look at a case decided by the High Court of Australia in 2005 of the trustees of the Roman Catholic Church for the Diocese of Canberra and Hadbar. This is a case where the court considered the standard of care owed by schools towards students and the question of liability to students who sustain injuries in the school playground areas. Under Australian law, it is well established that teachers and school authorities owe students in their charge a duty to take reasonable care to protect them from reasonably foreseeable risks of injury, but it is not a duty that demands perfection, nor are schools insurers against harm. All that is required is reasonable care. And with students, as you can appreciate, one of the issues is the level of supervision required by the common law over students in the playground. Courts considering this issue, and indeed the judges in Hadbar, as we will see, had regard to various and often at times competing considerations, including, for example, the school's ability to allocate and roster its finite teaching resources in order to supervise students during recess and lunch periods, the realities that even yard duty teachers are unable to be everywhere at once, and the tendency for some students to be at their most mischievous when a teacher's back is turned. So what happened in Hadbar? The trustees of the Roman Catholic Church for the Diocese of Canberra conducted a primary school, St Anthony's, in the Australian Capital Territory. And on the relevant day of the schoolyard incident, which occurred on 25 February 1999, Miss Hadbar was aged eight at the time and a student in year three. And at the time, there were about 540 students enrolled across the seven year levels from kindergarten through to years one to six. And when it came to the recess play period in particular, the year three students were considered part of the senior school with the year four, five and six students, while the students in kindergarten and years one and two formed the junior school. And the students in the senior school and the junior school each were allocated separate areas in which to play. The students in the senior school were allowed to play in the quote top oval area and that area included amongst other things a fixed equipment area and one piece of playground equipment there was the flying fox, where students would hold on to and hang from a triangle handle, which slides along a horizontal pole between two platforms and supporting vertical poles. Now, during the recess and lunch periods, the school had a playground supervision roster system for the teachers. The system required that the senior school and the junior school would each be supervised by two teachers. And at the relevant time, there were 20 permanent teachers on staff and that meant that each of those 20 teachers were required to be on yard supervision duty for two recess periods each week. Now coming back to the Flying Fox equipment itself, the school had a hands-off policy which directed students to refrain from touching each other in the playground and that included while using the Flying Fox and students were often reminded of the hands-off policy in class by teachers 
in school assembly by the school principal, and by posters hung around the school, and it was often selected as the rule of the week. And the rule was also enforced, with evidence being that students seen touching other students were told to stop, and when using the flying fox, students were told to line up behind the platforms, take turns, and avoid being on the ground in the space between the platforms where the flying fox operated. Further, the flying fox had, as at February 1999, been at the school for about six years prior and had been used on many thousands of occasions, and over that period, there had not been any serious accident. There had been, for example, incidents of children falling off and suffering skinned knees or bruises, but the evidence was that there was nothing more serious than that. Nor had there been any known incidents involving children having their legs grabbed or them otherwise being pulled off the flying fox. So on the day in question, during the morning recess period, Ms Hadbar ascended one platform, took hold of the triangle to ride across to the other platform. And at the time, there were about 40 students in the area. The behaviour of the children using or lining up for the flying fox was said to be entirely appropriate. And there was nothing in the children's behaviour so as to put the supervising teacher, a Miss McNamara, on notice to pay particular attention to the flying fox on that morning. While Miss Hadbar was on the platform, two year three students, one boy and one girl, each grabbed one of her legs. She protested and struggled and called out for them to stop and to let go, and she was ultimately pulled down from the flying fox, fell to the ground, and her face struck the platform, causing significant dental injuries. Now, the teacher supervising at the time, Miss McNamara, was described as a capable teacher of considerable experience and she was allocated to supervise the fixed equipment area including the flying fox as well as a large handball area an adjacent eating area a walkway adjacent to the eating area toilets at each end of a walkway and a drinking fountain area and while she was supervising all the relevant areas she saw some children in the year six classrooms which was against school policy the trial judge at first instance commenting that this was appropriate given that classrooms may have all manner of potential hazards for unsupervised students, ranging from sharp objects to mains electric power. Ms McNamara gave evidence that she called out to them to say, what are you doing, and please come out, but that there was no response. So she moved away from the playground area towards the classroom units, and within a matter of between 20 to 30 seconds, Ms Hadbar's incident happened. Two students came to tell her about the incident. Now, at trial, Ms Hadbar's legal team were not critical of Ms McNamara, but rather the case was run on the basis that there were shortcomings in the school supervision system, and they also had criticisms regarding the rules the school had in place for the appropriate use of the flying fox. At first instance before the Supreme Court of the ACT, Judge Connolly found that there was no breach of duty of care by the school. In so finding, the judge held that Miss McNamara acted appropriately when she saw students in the classroom units, and it would not be appropriate for her to, for example, ask another student to tell the students to leave the classroom, nor was there evidence that another teacher was close by so that she could ask them to attend the classrooms to ask the students to leave. Here, the judge said, if she was not looking at the flying fox because she was having a cup of tea or engaged in a private conversation, or looking absently away, then her conduct would fall short. But here she was attending to a potential hazard, as she should have done. And the judge at first instance considered it was too high a duty 
to require that at least one teacher at all times be required to observe any student on the play equipment. That was too high and would be unreasonable to require this. So there was no negligence by the school in its supervision system or by Miss McNamara's actions on the day. Miss Hadbar appealed to the ACT Court of Appeal, which by two to one majority allowed the appeal and entered judgment for Miss Hadbar at the agreed damages amount of $105,000. In essence, the majority considered at paragraphs 34 and 38 of the Court of Appeal judgment that there was an obvious need to maintain constant supervision of the equipment, which included the Flying Fox, noting that eight-year-old students were relatively unfamiliar with the Flying Fox and that the incident occurred in the first month of the first year they were permitted to use the Flying Fox. Alternatively, the Court of Appeal majority judges considered that if constant supervision proved to be impracticable, the Flying Fox should have been padlocked to prevent its use when such supervision was not available. And... Had she been present, constantly supervising, she would have been in a position to see and respond to Miss Hadbar's loud cries to let go, and the incident would not have occurred. The school appealed to the High Court, special leave was granted, and by 4-1 to majority, the appeal was allowed, the majority holding the school was not negligent. The majority noted various evidentiary gaps at first instance were not explored. Among other things, they observed at paragraph 14 of the judgment, that there was no evidence called from school teachers from other schools or other qualified persons with relevant expertise on industry standards, nor were there any guidelines published on what was normal or desirable practice for supervising primary school children in playgrounds. At paragraph 20 of the judgment, there was no cross-examination of Miss McNamara, nor the deputy principal at the time, Mr Smith, on whether, had Miss McNamara's duties been confined to the fixed equipment, the second supervising teacher could have effectively supervised the rest of the senior school area, if unassisted by a third or a fourth teacher. At paragraph 21 of the judgment, the question of whether a third or a fourth teacher was required, the majority noted the lack of evidence of any serious accident in the past and of students pulling each other off the flying fox and of the well-known hands-off rule. The judges also noted that teachers were entitled to breaks from work as well, so increased yard duty supervision responsibilities would entail difficulties and inconveniences and there was a lack of evidence on the cost of engaging extra staff to carry out such supervision duties. At paragraph 24 of the judgment, the majority noted that teachers, despite having specific supervisory duties, were understandably expected to minimise dangers other than those to which their specific duties related, as had occurred here when Miss McNamara saw children in the classrooms. And that presents problems depending on whether or not they are required to solely supervise the flying fox, the majority said. So a requirement allowing teachers to intervene will mean the teacher is unable to continue constant supervision of the flying fox. But on the other hand, a requirement prohibiting a teacher from intervening when observing a crisis developing left open a question as to how the risk of harm in other areas would be dealt with. And here the majority noted that teachers cannot be everywhere at once unless sufficient teachers are deployed to enable such a system to operate. They also noted at paragraph 25 that a system requiring observation of children's particular activities for every single moment of time is damaging to the teacher-pupil relationship as it removes even the slightest element of trust and is likely to impede the development of responsibility in children, is likely to call for greater increase in the number of supervising teachers and costs of doing so. On the issue of causation, the majority noted at paragraph 30 
the very short time frame during which Miss McNamara was not looking, that it did not exceed 30 seconds, and the moment when Miss Hadbar fell was likely to have been at most a few seconds, and so it is unlikely that a teacher, even a teacher watching uninterruptedly, would have been able to prevent the fall. So what to take away from Hadbar? The majority here obviously held the school did not have to provide a system of constant supervision over the flying fox. But the court does not set down any generalised rule pertaining to all schools and all situations, such that it cannot be said that constant supervision won't be necessary ever. But rather, that inquiry will be a factual one assessed on a case-by-case basis. Whether a system of constant supervision is required will depend on a range of factors. Here the court took into account, amongst other things, the relatively small teaching numbers, the existing system, which required each teacher to perform yard duty supervision two out of every five school days each week, the lack of evidence of prior serious accidents, the existence, active communication and enforcement of a no-hands rule, and of course the majority also noted the general evidentiary gaps pertaining to the ability of the school to employ more teachers or of other teachers being able to cover other areas of play if one teacher was solely focused on the fixed equipment area. So one could envisage, for example, scenarios involving prior accidents of seriousness, schools with greater resources to allow for heightened numbers of supervising teachers, and dedicated supervisors for playground areas and more dangerous pieces of equipment. And in that circumstance, that sort of a scenario may lend itself to a different outcome overall. Thanks for joining me on Ray's Ipsa Lockwater. We have a library of episodes which will be released regularly where we delve into new cases, unravel legal complexities and continue our exploration in the world of torts, insurance and personal injuries litigation. If you found today's episode valuable, be sure to hit subscribe to stay up to date with more quick, comprehensive legal insights. See you next time. This is a Guide Your Light Network production, creating podcasts with purpose.